We want to welcome everyone to tonight's class in the book of Revelation. This is actually our last class of the book of Revelation. We've been doing this for right at a year now, and uh, it's exciting to be at the end. Kind of one of those things that at the same time it's exciting, it's it's also a little uh, distressing because it's it's over. Uh, but we're going to be uh, getting through this. Hopefully we'll get through this chapter today, chapter number 22 of the book of Revelation. So far in this study, we've seen a ton of stuff. We've had the benefit of being able to participate in the vision that, that was given to John, the, the things that he's seen and things that he's relating to us from Jesus Christ. And, you know, we get to see the, the messages to the seven churches. We, we got to see the, uh, the search for somebody worthy to open up the, the, the book and not finding anybody until Jesus Christ was handed it. And then he opened it up one seal at a time. And as it was opened up one seal at a time, we saw God's judgment being poured out. We saw God's wrath being poured out. We saw a vindication for those who were who were killed uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. We we saw these things take place, and, and it brings us up to the very very end of chapter or of the book into chapter number twenty two. We'll start in, in verse number six. It's kind of the epilogue of the uh, of the book. It's the the closing thoughts, if you will of the book of Revelation, but there's still some very powerful things in here. And it, God never gives us anything and just puts it in there as filler. Every single verse has something that we need to, to understand and we need to see in here. So we'll start with verse number six of chapter number 22. It says, and he said unto me, these sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. So we see the that there's this confirmation that's taking place, that's taking place several times, this confirmation that this is a true statement, that this is a faithful statement. By being a faithful state, statement, it means that it, it's something that can be depended on. Uh, it's relied upon. It, it's faithful. It's, it's a trustworthy statement. And the message is true. It, it's not a lie. It's not false. It's not a message that was created in the imagination of men. How do we know this? Because the message of Revelation is trustworthy and true. How do we know these things? Because the message of the Revelation is from the same Lord God that inspired the prophets of old, the same Lord that gave the prophets their message, and he is the one who has given the great message of Revelation. This is coming directly from Jesus Christ. It's a, it, Ultimately, it becomes a matter of belief. You either believe what Jesus Christ is telling us, or you don't believe what Jesus Christ is telling us. It's one or the other. Uh, we either believe or do not believe that he has done it. He's done what he did in the past, and he's going to do what he claims he will do in the future. But whatever our decision is, we need to listen to the book of Revelation. It's a book that needs to be studied. We can't just because this is the last time that we're having an episode on it. It can't be the last time that we open it. It can't be the last time that we look at it because it has a lot to say about the remaining portion of our, of our life here on this earth. The existence of mankind as we know it, the existence of the world. A failure to heed the things that are even talked about in these last few verses can spell um, damnation for people. We need to understand these things. Revelation chapter 22, verse 7 says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. So we see Christ is speaking here. If you ever read a letter Bible, you see that that's in red, where he says, Behold, I come quickly. The message of Revelation is one that will bring a blessing to the people that study it, but there's a promise that's included with it. He says, Behold, I come quickly. The events of this book are about to unroll. They're about to unroll upon the earth. The events are going to happen quickly. 
so quickly that by the time they they really start and they take off, even though most of us will be gone by that point, when they start, they're gonna one's gonna roll into the next one, is gonna roll into the next one. There's not gonna be time at that point to to go back to the book of Revelation to see what it says. We need to study it now. The Bible says it's coming quickly. Uh, we must be prepared. We must be re ready to give a witness. We need to tell people about the things that are coming. I see people on Facebook all the time, and they're always predicting something. They're predicting, you know, there were people that predicted the the, the toilet paper shortage, or people that were predicting the gas shortage, and and there's people that predict different types of shortages and and things like that, and all these different predictions that take place. You know, you better go get your gas tonight, or you better do this now, because all these predictions, because we we want to help people avoid the pain of being without, and we need to take that same mentality and realize that that the end is close. The end is very close. And we need to be telling people, hey, you need to get ready. You need to be ready because when it finally gets here, it's too late to get ready. We're getting ready to, to hit hurricane season here in Florida. And, and you know, the time to get ready is, is now. The time to start stockpiling is now to be ready whenever that storm hits. Because if we wait until the storm is here, we're too late. The stores will be shut down. The gas will be gone. All those things will take place. We know what's going to happen. It doesn't take a, a genius. We've all seen it before. We have to get ready now. And the same thing with the, with Revelation, that the events of the book of Revelation are going to happen. And to try for somebody to try and get ready for the book of Revelation or the events of the Revelation, when it's here, it's too late. We need to be getting ready now. Verse number eight and nine, it says, And I, John, saw these things and heard them, and when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. So Johnson is something that he's done before. He This is the second time that he's so overcome with the uh, events that are taking place. He's so overcome by what he's being told that he just has this overwhelming desire to worship. And unfortunately, for the second time, he did it back in Revelation chapter 19. For the second time, he he drops down and begins to worship an angel. And for a second time, the angel stops him, quickly stops him. He tells John to get up. Angels are only servants of God. He is a fellow servant. We are not called to worship angels. We are not called to worship men. Most false religions out there have a component in them of worshiping either angels or some type of supernatural being other than God or worshiping men or women. The mother-child cult, which is rampant in, in many countries, it's the basis for, the, for, the, uh, for Catholicism. The mother-child cult is out there and it calls for a worship of humans. It calls for a worship of the mother. And we're never in anywhere in the Bible are we called to worship anybody other than God. It's one of fact, it's one of the facts that we know that Jesus Christ is God because there is a call to worship him in the Bible. And so it's one of those things. So the angel is quick to tell him, don't worship me. And I understand, even though I, I see why John is wrong, I understand being in his in his situation at that time, being overwhelmed with the desire to worship. And there's an angel right in front of you. I mean, that's a that's a pretty big deal. And he tries to worship the angel, but he he stops him and he says, worship. God. Very, very simple. It makes our worship much simpler. We realize the focus of our worship is God. It's not the church. It's not man. It's not anything man-made. The focus of worship is 
God. The great tragedy is that so many are worshiping false gods. They're worshiping man-made gods, or they're worshiping men, or they're worshiping angels in some cases. And we are never once called to do that. Matter of fact, we are rebuked for doing that in the word of God. Verse number 10 says, and he, he saith unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Again, we see that urgency. We see that urgency in verse number 10, where it says, for the time is at hand. All through the book of Revelation, one of the key things that we see in here is the fact that it keeps repeating to us that this is something that is very, very soon to happen. This is something that's to happen. And because of this, he says, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Others, this book isn't supposed to be closed. This isn't a book that we, we study once and we put on the shelf and we move on to something else. This is a book that we need to study over and over and over. The message of Revelation is to be read, it's to be studied, is to be memorized. Why? Because the events that are going to take place are going to take place very, very quickly. And there's a time that's coming that'll be too late. There will be a, a portion, there will be a point in time in history where it will be too late for mankind to, to respond to the, the book of Revelation or any message that's in the Bible. The time is short and we need to respond now. We need to understand now. Unfortunately, many will have their hearts or they will harden their hearts to the point that they won't be able to respond or they won't desire to respond. There'll be that, that pride that'll get in that way, that, that self-sufficiency that'll get in the way. That refusal to admit that they were wrong is a powerful thing in our culture. And that's going to keep a lot of people from admitting that Jesus Christ is God, that they, it would be, keep them from repenting of their sons. But if we turn to God and we repent, we will be saved. That's the other common theme of the Bible is over and over, repent, accept that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, turn from our sin, turn to Jesus Christ, and we will be saved. Mark 3, 29 says, but he that blasphemed against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. This is a verse, I don't, I don't want to get too deep into this verse, but it's a verse that's caused a lot of confusion. Because people want to know, well, what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? A lot of people say, well, if you just curse the Holy Spirit, then that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But that, that's not what this is talking about. The Holy Spirit's job in the unsaved world is to convict the unsaved world that they need Jesus Christ. And when the world hardens their hearts and they reject that, they're blaspheming against the, the Holy Spirit. In essence, the unforgivable sin or the unpardonable sin of the Bible is the rejection of Jesus Christ. It is that when the Holy Spirit draws us, we push against it, we reject it. And when we reject Jesus Christ, there is no forgiveness for that because we've rejected Jesus Christ. When we die in that sin, there is no second chance. There is no coming back. It is, is the one thing that separates us for all eternity from God is the rejection of Jesus Christ. Verse number 12, again, it's in red letter. It says, and behold, I come quickly. There he is saying that again, over and over again. It's, I'm coming quickly, I'm coming quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So we see that, that again, that, that theme of I'm coming quickly, but then he says, he's coming to, uh, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. We talked in the service this morning about the two judgments. And we've talked at length, or 
the book of Revelation about the two judgments. In essence, we we have two judgments. We have the uh, the judgment seat of Christ, and we have the white throne, the great white throne judgment. Both of these judgments have a lot of things in common. Both of them, we are judged upon our works. The difference being at the judgment seat of Christ, it's believers. And we're not judged for our works as entry into heaven. That's already settled. We're judged by our works for our rewards. And that's what he's talking about here. The other judgment is the um, the white throne judgment. And there, the people that are there are the lost of this world, those that have hardened their hearts, the, those that have rejected Jesus Christ. And they are the ones who are judged according to their works to see if their works are good enough to get them into heaven. And of course, their works are never good enough. And their name is not found written in the book of life. So they are cast into hell. But we see that that common theme throughout this of these judgments and of the, the shortness of time that we have here. He also says that he is the Alpha and the Omega. The, the first judgment is based upon him and based upon his worth. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. It's not based uh, our, our ticket into heaven, if you will, isn't based upon our works. Our ticket in heaven is based upon who Jesus Christ is. And he is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the one who can ensure our place in heaven. Verse number 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. This is another one of those verses that's caused some confusion. People say, well, if, if keeping the commandments is what's required to get into heaven, well, none of us will get into heaven because none of us can fully keep his commandments. And it almost looks like a workspace doctrine. But if we look at the true commandments of God, in essence, what it's talking about here is the commandments that it's talking about is our, again, our acceptance of Jesus Christ. We are commanded to do that. And when we reject it and blast from the spirit, it keeps us out of heaven. When we don't, when we give into that and we follow the commandment, then we are, are guaranteed our place in heaven. We have the, the right to the tree of life. We have the right to enter into the city, not because of us, not because of what we've done, but we, but because we've had our robes washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. They've been made white as snow, uh, not based upon our works, but based upon what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. Verse 15 says, for they are, for without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. So we see some of the people that are excluded from heaven here. We see the, the lost that are excluded. The first one that talks about are dogs. Now, dogs, you have to understand the context of this. In this particular day and age, dogs weren't like we think of dogs today. Dogs are much more domesticated today. Dogs then were considered to be wild dogs, a, a symbol of roaming about, a symbol of mean and savage and, and dirtiness and immorality. Um, those who, who would roam about would be called dogs. We still use that terminology today. If a, if a man is unfaithful to his wife or unfaithful to his girlfriend or, or just you know goes out with one woman after another woman after another woman, and he lives in a very immoral lifestyle, we still call them dogs. We'll say that he's a dog, and that's where it comes from. So it's not talking about dog dogs here, like we think of dogs. It's not even talking about the character traits of a dog. Uh, as being a loving companion, as we think about today, it's using that context of the wild dogs. And then it talks about the sorcerers, the immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, the liars. These things have all been discussed at length in our in our study. Um, I won't take the time to go into all those again, but this is a, a partial list of those that are left out. Why? Because each one of these things requires 
rejection of Jesus Christ. You can't be a sorcerer and a Christian. Christians don't murder. We have to have that. There's that that difference of, of the way we act because of the fact that we're a Christian. And so these people are ones that are left out of, of heaven, left out of the uh, left out of the salvation. Verse number 16 says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. So again, Jesus is speaking here. He's saying, I'm the one that gave you these things. I, Jesus, I, I'm testifying these things unto the churches. This is this is my message. So we can, again, see that it's faithful. We can, again, see that it's true. He describes himself in several ways. He says, he says I am the, the root and offspring of David. It's one of those descriptions that can only be applied to Jesus Christ. A root and an offspring. So what does that mean, a root and offspring? A root means an ancestor. Uh, in essence, God or Jesus created David. So David is an, is an ancestor of Jesus Christ because he was created by him. He is the root, but at the same time, he's also the offspring of David. His earthly body came from the lineage of David, proving that, that he is the Messiah. He not only gave life to David, but is an offspring of David. He's the promised Messiah who came from the seed and the lineage of David, just as it was foretold. Then he said he's the bright and morning star. This is a fulfillment of scripture. Back in Numbers 24, uh, he says, there shall come out of Jacob a star. And this is that star. This is that bright and morning star, Jesus Christ. He's defining who he is so that the reader doesn't have to question, who is this that's speaking? He's defining himself as the only one that he can be. He is the Messiah. He is Jesus Christ. Being the true Messiah, he is bound to declare the truth. He is bound to declare the, mess the message of revelation to us. Verse number 17, it says, and the spirit of the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water freely. We see an invitation, an invitation to come and to drink. The message of Revelation offers the greatest invitation ever extended unto man. He says, the bride says, come. Those that hear, come. Those with thirst, come. Those that thirst for water freely, come. The, the bride, of course, is the church the host of the true believers, uh, those that may, may have been scattered across the earth, but are all brought together now. Everyone is crying, come. And, and, and no, once we hear the invitation to come, we, we, we begin to cry out for others to come. You see the, the progression there. The spirit says to the bride, come. And he that heareth him say, come. It's, this is a picture of what we should be doing on the earth now. As we've heard from the Spirit, as we've received that message from God, we need to be doing the same thing. We were told, come and see. At some point in our lives, somebody made an invitation for us to come and experience Jesus Christ. We should be crying out that same message today. We should be carrying that to the people that we are in love with, those that we care about, those that we despise, those that we don't even hardly know. We need to be carrying that message to them today and telling them, you need to come. The world is thirsty. Over and over, the, the Bible uses that term thirst, and there's a reason for that. Look around at the world. The world is thirsty. They're trying everything to satisfy that thirst. They're trying uh, immorality. They're trying uh, uh, money. They're trying power. They're trying whatever they can think of to, to suffice that thirst, and it all comes up lacking. Nothing quite fits. It's like trying to put a square peg into a round hole. 
it doesn't quite fit. And if they get it to fit a little bit, it satisfies that thirst for a short period of time, but then they're thirsty again. Once we've experienced the water of Jesus Christ, like he told the woman at the well, we won't thirst anymore. That thirst is satisfied. The world is thirsty and we have the water that they need to drink. Verse number 18 says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book of prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and, out of the, the, out, and from the things which are written in this book. So we have a very stern warning not to add to or take away. Now, I want to clarify something. Is this verse is, is generally misapplied in a sense. Directly, these verses are talking specifically about the book of Revelation, not the entire Bible, specifically about the book of Revelation. But in general revelation or in general context, it does apply to the entirety of the word of God. So don't get confused on that. Don't wonder, well, is this talking about the Bible or is it talking about Revelation? In essence, it's talking about both, specifically about the book of Revelation, but generally about the entire word of God. These, these, there's a condemnation against any that would tamper with it. And I mean, the, that, that's a pretty severe thing that they're going to add to them the plagues of this book, or they're going to take away their name from the, the, the things written in this book. It, it's, it's a pretty severe punishment. So we don't mess with the word of God. We take the word of God. We allow the word of God to transform us. We don't have to like every portion of it, but just because we don't like it or don't disagree with it doesn't mean we get to change it. It's God's word and we won't be fully com complied to it. We won't be fully in, in love with it, if you will, until all the sinfulness is out of us. As long as we have sinfulness inside of us, there's gonna be portions of the scripture that are gonna rub us the wrong way. That's just the reality. As we grow as Christians and we get closer and closer to Jesus Christ, it gets easier and it gets less abusive towards us or abrasive towards us when we read it. It steps on our toes less the closer we get to, to God. But until we're, until we're done with this world, until we're done with our sinfulness, there's going to be portions of the Bible you're going to read you're not going to like. It's going to make you uncomfortable. But understand in those, those moments, it's not okay to ignore it. It's not okay to change it. It's the word of God. And what needs to change is us. Now, it may be a slow process, but acknowledging the fact that we need to change in some way is a huge step. I find things in the Bible sometimes I don't understand, or I do understand and I don't like it. Or I think, you know what, if I was God, I'd do it different. And, and you know, thankfully, you guys should all praise God every day that I'm not God. But if we were, if we're honest with ourselves, we read things in there and we say, you know, what, I would do that differently understand when we see those things that that's a failure in our hearts and our minds because we allow the world to conform us to a certain extent and we need to be more and more conformed by the bible don't dismiss something in the bible just because you don't like it don't dismiss something in the bible just because it's it's uncomfortable or unpopular with with current opinion in the world we can't do that we can't allow the world or our hearts to change the word of god we can't add to it, we can't take away from it, or there will be severe punishment. Verse number 20. He which testified these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. 
Again, we see that at the end. The assurance of this message. He which testify these things say, surely I come quickly. He's telling us again, Jesus is the one who reveals and testifies the things written in Revelation. Uh, these aren't the imaginations or the ramblings of men or, or the uh, desires of men. This came from Jesus Christ. He's saying, yes, it's true. And yes, I'm coming. And not only am I coming, but I'm coming soon. I'm coming quickly. In Revelation chapter 3 says, Behold, I come quickly. Hold the fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. And that's it. We're going to conclude the study of the book of Revelation with that verse.